Hi, everyone. Welcome to Texas True Crime. I'm your host, Jessica, and I'm glad you're here with me today. If it's spring break where you are, I hope you've had a good one. We had a great trip. Uh, we went to Santa Fe with the family and got home in time for a few days of rest around the house because tomorrow it's back to our regular schedule, school and all the things. Um, and I got back in time to make sure to get a new episode recorded for y'all. So let's talk about today's case. There is a stretch of highway along I-45, 26 miles southeast of Houston called the Texas Killing Fields. It's located near League City, and there is an abandoned oil field that's about 25 acres in size. Now, since the 1970s, 33 bodies of murder victims have been found there, and it's mainly the bodies of young women. Now, over the years, there's been lots of speculation about who is leaving these bodies there. Is it the work of one person? Is it multiple people? Maybe it's just a stretch of highway that has turned out to be a convenient place to leave a body and not get caught. Most investigators, though, now believe that multiple serial killers use this spot. It's desolate. There's nothing nearby. And even if you were to get away from your attacker, there's really nowhere to go and no one to hear if you were calling for help or to hear someone screaming. Now, many young women over the years have gone missing from this area in between Houston and Galveston. And some of them have been found, but a lot of them have not. So today we're going to talk about one of the killers associated with the Texas killing fields. His name is William Lewis Reese. And there have been many suspects over the years that have been connected to the Texas killing fields, but Reese is one of only two men that have actually been convicted of any of the crimes. Now, when I first started researching William Lewis Reese, I did not realize that he was connected to the Texas killing fields. I'd heard about it. I knew that it was a stretch of highway near Houston that had become kind of famous as a dumping spot for bodies. But until I sat down and started watching the Netflix documentary, I didn't even realize he was um, associated with it because I hadn't gotten that far in my research yet. So let's um, talk about William Lewis Reese. And I'm sure you've already figured this out by now, but this guy's a dirtbag, just a complete dirtbag. But Let's be honest, we wouldn't be talking about him today if he was such a great guy, now would we? So, um, Reese confessed to three murders connected to the killing fields after he was convicted of a murder in Oklahoma. But he didn't confess out of guilt or because his conscience got the better of him. You see, he was only trying to save his own skin. In Oklahoma, he was given the death penalty. And so he hoped that maybe if he confessed to his murders in Texas, he could work a deal that would get him off a of death row. Reese was born on July 31st, 1959 in Oklahoma. He was one of 13 siblings. 
Now, growing up, he lived in Yukon and Anadarko, Oklahoma, and he was in and out of foster care pretty much the majority of his life. And at one point, he was even sent to a boy's home for bad behavior. Now, even though he had a rough childhood, he and his mother were very close up until the day she died. And in fact, his Reese's first wife even said she really believed he would have done, she would have done anything that he asked her to do. Now, when he was a freshman in high school, he dropped out of school and got a job on a farm shoeing horses to help out his family financially. When he was 19, he married Judy Fleming. Their marriage, big surprise, was not happy and it was full of abuse. She told reporters that she really believed that Reese thought he owned her. Now, they were only married for three years, so it didn't last long. But in that time, they were married, divorced, and then he convinced her to remarry him again. And they had two children, a son and a daughter, at that time. When Reese met Fleming, he, she thought he was charming. And she thought he was just a nice guy. And he told her, he said, if you don't, they were sitting in a parking lot in his truck. And he said, if you don't go out with me, I'm going to shoot myself. Well, she thought, you know, he's joking around. He doesn't mean that. But soon after they were married, he became violent and he became mean. The first time Peggy Fleming tried to leave William Reese about a year after they were married was because she caught him cheating on her with her best friend. Like I told you, he's so lovely. But of course, he convinced her to come back to him. And after a year, she filed for divorce a second time and left him for good. But that's when the violence got even worse. After she had left and moved out, he broke into the house, beat her so badly that she ended up in the hospital. Half of her face was black. He held a knife to her throat and threw it down on the floor and put a shotgun to her head. Now, luckily for Judy, though, Reese set his sights on a new woman and later married her. But that marriage didn't last long either because he didn't treat that wife any better. But Judy said that his new wife would call her and beg her to take Reese back. Judy declined. After Reese was divorced, things went downhill downhill quickly from there. That's really when everything for him escalated. In 1986, a 19-year-old University of Oklahoma student was driving to her job as an aerobics instructor, and her car stalled on Interstate 35. It was pouring down rain, and where her car had stalled right there off the interstate, there really wasn't anything around. Now, there was a tall fence that ran along the side of the interstate, and on the other side, there was a mall and a hotel. Now, she later told the jury that she was looking at that fence and considering climbing the fence to go somewhere for help when an 18-wheeler pulled up beside her and William Reese was inside. Now, he came over seeming like this nice guy, good Samaritan, and he offered to help her. So, so she got into the truck with him. But now remember, this is the 80s. There are no cell phones. So he offered to take her to a payphone so she could call for help. But of course, he didn't do what he said. 
Instead, he drove to an Albertson's parking lot and forced her into the sleeping cab of his truck. The woman, the lady, now they didn't release her name because in Oklahoma, they don't give the names of sexual assault victims. The woman told the jury that she screamed at him and asked why he was doing this. And she said, he simply told her, I'm crazy. He duct taped her arms behind her back and shoved her into a sleeping bag. And then he drove away from the parking lot. And the next time he parked, he forced her to perform oral sex on him. He then pulled up his pants, told her he loved her, and that he'd been lonely and looking for someone like her, and that they were going to live together forever in Houston. So the woman knew that she was going to have to play along with him and act like she was into this or she wasn't going to survive. So she said, okay. And uh, at their next stop, she persuaded him to let her get out, use the bathroom, and then said, you know, can I just call my family, let them know I'm okay and that I'm with you? Well, Reese wasn't a dummy. He gave her a quarter and then a kiss goodbye and drove away. So in this case, she was lucky that he let her leave because unfortunately, and I'm, and, and of course this whole, this was traumatic and I can't even imagine this happening to me or someone that I love, but she, he let her go, which wasn't the case for so many of his victims. Now, William Reese was 26 at this point, and this was his first known attack. And it really set the pattern for his crimes. Young women with car trouble along the highway would be abducted, sexually assaulted, and like I said, sometimes murdered. So in this case, this young lady was lucky to at least get away with her life. A month later, while he was awaiting trial for kidnapping and oral sodomy for his first attack, he didn't think it was a time to lay low. He followed a woman home from a bar and raped her. So like, this guy has no conscience and he doesn't even care. Because he's already on trial, but he's like, hey, why not do it again? In October of 1996, an appeals court reduced his sentence. Um, and I'm sorry, I got off on my whole rant about what a terrible person he is. But he was convicted in both of the attacks. And the young woman that he abducted and then the woman that he followed home, he was convicted of both of those attacks and sentenced to 25 years in prison. But I know none of you will be surprised that he only ended up serving 10 years of his 25-year sentence. Because in October of 1996, an appeals court reduced his sentence because of an improper comment a prosecutor made and Reese was let go. Now, he showed up at his mother's house in Anadarko, Oklahoma, and the neighbors didn't know really much of anything about his past. They just knew that this was the son who'd been in prison. Now, Kathy Dobry was a friend of Reese's mother, and she agreed to take him into the city to get a new driver's license. She said he seemed very polite, and she said she didn't want to seem rude since she was friends with Reese's mother, and she didn't feel like it was her place to ask why he'd been in jail. Now, she was she she just thought, you know, 
That's not my place. I don't want to look rude. I'm not going to ask. She didn't want to upset Reese's mother. But, and she didn't think anything about it until that summer when her teenage daughter went missing. Now we're going to fast forward a little bit to the spring of 1997. William Reese left Oklahoma and moved to Houston, Texas. By this point, he was almost 40 years old and he found work shoeing horses and in construction. Butch Bloodworth hired him at his ranch, and since something wasn't quite right about his new farrier, now a farrier is someone who shoes horses, um, but he couldn't quite put his finger on it. He did say that in the time that Reese worked for him, he saw him hit a horse with a two-by-four because it wouldn't stand still while he was trying to work on him. A teenage girl who came to the ranch complained to him that Reese had made her feel uncomfortable because he'd made inappropriate comments to her about her sweet britches. Blech. Bloodworth also suspected that during that time, Reese tried to sell him a stolen bulldozer. Now, later on, Bloodworth would tell reporters that at the time, no one knew that Reese went around looking for horses to shoe, things to steal, and girls to kill. But when Reese showed up on the scene, young women started to vanish. So it wasn't looking good. On April 3rd, 1997, just a few months after Reese had made it to Houston, 12-year-old aspiring ballerina Laura Smither left her house in Friendswood, Texas, which is a suburb of Houston, for a morning run before breakfast. Um, it, but she didn't make it back for breakfast, and her family was worried about her obviously. And this was not like her to be late or to just not come home. Now, thousands of people helped search for Laura, even the U.S. Marines, but there wasn't a single clue as to what happened to her. It was as if she had just vanished. After 17 days of searching, a man and his son found Laura's body in a pond near their home. They were out walking their dogs, and they saw Laura's body in the pond. They were 12 miles from Laura's house. After weeks in the water, it was hard for authorities to determine Laura's cause of death. But William Reese quickly became a suspect. He worked at a construction site near Laura's home, and someone had seen his truck in the area. But police searched his truck but couldn't find enough evidence to arrest him. So he remained free. Now on May 16th, 19-year-old Sandra Saypaw was on her way to meet a friend when she stopped off at a convenience store off I-45 in Webster, Texas. So all these little towns that are mentioned in today's episode are all little suburb areas of Houston, and they all run this I-45 corridor. And when I say I-45, I mean Interstate 45. Uh, Sandra Saypaw noticed a man in a white truck in the parking lot watching her. Now, you know, it kind of creeped her out a little bit, but she didn't think anything about it. She went into the store, and when she came out, she got into her vehicle, started the car, and drove away. But as she was driving away, she realized she had a flat. So, lo and behold, here comes William Reese 
And the man that she had seen in the parking lot watching her, he came over, seemed so friendly, offered to help her. But before she knew what was happening, William Reese was holding a knife to her throat and forcing her into the truck. He then sexually assaulted her in the truck and then took off down the highway with Sandra. Now, Sandra later told police that she knew if she didn't get out, that she was probably going to die. And so what she did, I mean, they're flying down the interstate. I don't know what the speed limits are on the interstate where you guys live, but in Texas, it's 75 or 80 in some places. Now, this was the 90s, but it was at least 65 or 70. So they weren't going slow, but she decided she would rather take her chances throwing herself out of the vehicle. She tucked and rolled and landed out in the middle of the interstate. Now, she was severely injured, but luckily for her, a woman in a car behind them saw what happened and pulled over and helped Sandra into her car. She then drove Sandra to a payphone so that they could report what happened to her to the police. Now, Sandra was, of course, able to give police a description of the man who had assaulted her and tried to kidnap her. She said he was driving a white dually pickup truck. He wore a black cowboy hat, and he had gingerish colored hair with big bags under his eyes. She was also able to give the description and help do a sketch of William Reese. Now, police took it. They took Sandra very seriously, but unfortunately, as Reese, and I don't know if he was so good at hiding or he was just lucky because yet again, he was able to abduct another young woman. On July 15th, Kelly Cox, a 20-year-old mother and a student at the University of North Texas, went with her criminal justice class to tour the Denton Police Department. Now, she had to leave the police department a little earlier than her classmates because she had an exam to take that afternoon. And since she was unable to take any personal belongings into the jail, Kelly had stashed a spare key under her car. Now, before she had even left, she tested the spare key to make sure it worked. But when she came out of the jail, she grabbed the key and tried to start her car, but the key wouldn't work this time. But who do you think showed up to try to help her out? Kelly walked less than two minutes to a gas station and called her boyfriend from a payphone. But when he got there, she was gone and no one had seen a thing. Now, I did lots of reading about this, and it was never confirmed. But don't you know he watched her like he did everyone else, stole that key, and put a fake there so that she'd have to go off on her own? Ugh. He's just... Ugh. And when you see pictures of him, he looks like a sleazy creep. There's nothing nice looking about him. Now. Kelly's family knew that something was terribly wrong. One, she was very responsible. She wouldn't have missed her exam. And on top of that, she loved her daughter, Alexis. And even though she was young, she was a wonderful mother, embraced motherhood. And when she didn't show up to pick her up from daycare that day, they knew something terrible must have happened because there's no way she would have just failed to come pick up her daughter. 
So just like Laura Smither, a huge search went into effect for Kelly. But just like before, they couldn't find her or her body, and there were no leads. After weeks of searching with no clues, no witnesses, nothing to go on, the case began to grow cold. Kelly's aunt told reporters, This is such a nightmare. Three weeks ago, I sat in my living room and cried for a little girl who was missing in the Houston area. I never thought we'd be in the same situation. Now, this particular case, though, Kelly was in Denton, which is quite a few hours north of Houston. So this one did, even though it did happen right off an interstate, like William Reese was so prone to do, it was not right there in the Houston area. But he traveled back and forth between Houston and Oklahoma because he went to visit his mother a lot. So that, I guess he saw her and decided to watch her. And that's why this one wasn't in Houston. It was in the Denton, Dallas area. Now on July 26th, 19-year-old newlywed Tiffany Johnston was washing her car at a local car wash in Bethany, Oklahoma. Now, I want y'all to stop and remember we talked about back at the beginning how Kathy Dobry had a daughter and that she was friends of William Reese's mom and that she didn't feel like it was polite of her to ask why Reese was in prison. Well, Tiffany Johnston is Kathy Dobry's mother. And Bethany, Oklahoma was very close to Anadarko, where Reese's mother lived. So Bethany was a newlywed. She planned that night to celebrate her three-month anniversary. She was washing her car, middle of the day, broad daylight, and disappeared. When the police arrived, her Dodge Neon was still in the car wash, uh, sitting there, keys in the ignition, And the floor mats were still hanging from the drying racks. But there was no sign of Tiffany or what might have happened to her. And no one at the car wash reported seeing anything out of the ordinary. No one thought anything about it. Now, the other... Now, Kelly Cox, they didn't find her after even weeks and weeks. But the very next day, Tiffany's body was found with only her bathing suit top on, thrown on the side of the road in some tall grass just 15 miles from the interstate where the car wash had been where she was last seen. She'd been strangled and sexually assaulted. Now, investigators were able to recover DNA from Tiffany's body, but at that point, technology was not developed enough for them to be able to develop a suspect profile from the DNA that they recovered. But luckily, they saved it. Now, one month later, on August 17th, 17-year-old Jessica Kane went to dinner with her theater group. They were celebrating the end of a show they had done, and everyone was in great spirits. But Jessica missed her curfew. And so her father, C.H. Kane, went out looking for her. Now, they're back in another, he's back again in the Houston area. He's right off I-45. He, uh, C.H. Kane found his daughter's truck 
abandoned on the shoulder of I-45, just a couple of miles from her home on Tiki Island. Now, again, there was no trace of Jessica. Her wallet was left in the truck. Hundreds of volunteers searched again, including Laura Smithers' parents. Now, the Kane's private investigator theorized that Jessica might have seen amber lights flashing on Reese's truck and thought that it was the police pulling her over. And that's how he was able to get her to pull over and he was able to abduct her. But same thing, that's a theory. Reese never gave any answers. Now, at this point, five women in five months had gone missing or had been attacked. And authorities were on edge. They knew they had they had a serial killer slash serial rapist on their hands. And the public was scared, too. Young women were going missing all over the place. Now, in October, five months after Sandra Saypaul was abducted, Webster investigators realized that the description Sandra gave of her abductor's truck sounded very similar to the truck that the Friendswood police had searched when Laura Smither disappeared. Now, like we said, the truck belonged to William Reese. So, on October 16th, the police pulled Reese in for a lineup. And Sandra Saypaul identified him and said, that's him. That's my attacker. Now, he was arrested and charged with kidnapping, aggravated kidnapping. But he pleaded not guilty. So on April 29th, 1998, Sandra Saypaul gave a powerful testimony about what Reese did to her. The prosecutors also called in the two women that he had attacked in Oklahoma in the 1980s. And they also took the stand and told how Reese had brutally attacked both of them and how he had forever changed their lives. Now, Reese sat there and said that it was all a crock and he wasn't the kind of person to kill or attack people. He said he couldn't wait to be exonerated so he could move to the mountains far away from these people who were ruining his life. I'm not a rapist, he said. I'm just an old country boy. Hmm. It took the jury less than three hours to find Reese guilty, and he was sentenced to 60 years in prison. Now, in Oklahoma, Kathy Dobry, remember the family friend of William Reese, of William Reese's mother, was in a daze. She was in the process of planning a funeral for her daughter. She picked out a rosary and got her daughter Tiffany's childhood levy, Tippy, a small stuffed dog, to place in her coffin with her. Now, Reese's mother did ironing for the Dobry family, and Kathy asked her to iron her burial outfit, an A-line skirt, and a blouse with a high collar to hide the strangulation marks on Tiffany's neck. Now, after Tiffany was buried, Kathy Dobry said that for years, someone anonymously placed flowers and trinkets at her daughter's grave. But when William Reese's mother died in 2005, the gift stopped. Kathy believes that Reese's mother knew that he had killed Tiffany. And she thinks that he probably, that his mother probably knew that she, he had killed those other women too. But like Reese's first wife said, 
she would do anything for him. And she was willing to overlook everything for her son. In 2012, retired police chief Lynn Williams started working for the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation. Now, from now on after this, I'm going to call him the OSBI because Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation is mouthful. But Lynn Williams went to work for the OSBI and was assigned to Tiffany's case. Now, Williams went through everything with a fine-tooth comb and decided that the crime scene DNA found on Tiffany's body was probably going to be their best bet at catching Tiffany's killer. Now, earlier testing, like I said, at that point, technology had not advanced enough to give them any leads into who Tiffany's killer might be. But at that time, they sent in the DNA testing again, and they were, and the OSBI was able to develop a partial male profile. Now, the team compared the partial profile to the profiles of several suspects. They were able to eliminate all of the suspects except one. And I bet you can guess who it was, William Reese. So in December of 2013, a buckle swab was collected from William Reese's cheek and sent to the OSBI for comparison. The OSBI was able to connect Reese's DNA to the DNA that had been recovered from Tiffany's body. On September 22, 2015, A warrant was issued for William Reese by the state of Oklahoma for the murder and kidnapping of Tiffany Johnston. At his trial, he was given the death penalty, and it took the jury jury less than two hours to find him guilty. Now, in February of 2016, Oklahoma law enforcement shared their new DNA discovery with Texas investigators who were hoping they could get Reese to talk about a connection to the cases of Laura Smither, Kelly Cox, and Jessica Kane. Now, this is where I found out about William Lewis Reese. I found an article talking about how a case in Oklahoma helped solve three cold cases that were here in Texas. So this is where I first found out about him. The whole thing intrigued me because I find it so fascinating that with our advancements today, People who weren't able to find out what happened to their loved ones are now 20, 25, 30 years later, some even longer than that, are able to find out what happened to their loved ones. So, Reese agreed to meeting with the investigators, but before he would talk, he said he wanted the death penalty taken off the table. Now, the Texas Rangers told him that was a good possibility that he could probably make a trade and cut a deal like we talked about way back at the beginning to save his hide. But first, they had to make sure that the families were in agreement. Now, the Smithers and Kelly Cox's family agreed because they were hoping that they would finally get some answers about what happened to their daughters. So, since they agreed and the death penalty in Texas was taken off the table, William Reese confessed to all four murders. So on March 18th, 2016, Reese led investigators to Jessica Kane's remains in a field on East Orem Drive near Hobby Airport in Houston. 
Two weeks after that, Kelly Cox's remains were found in a nearby Brazoria County lot. Now, Kelly's bracelet was found with her remains, and so her mother, Jan, had it made into a locket that she wears every day around her neck. 25 years after the murders of Laura Smither, Kelly Cox, and Jessica Kane, their families finally got their day in court. William Reese pled guilty in Galveston and Brazoria counties and was given three consecutive life sentences. Now, these people finally, after years, these families after years, finally were able to find out what happened. But unfortunately for many of these families, they still don't know who's responsible for the murders of their loved ones or where they might be. So hopefully one day, all the other families of the women who have gone missing in the League City I-45 corridor associated with the Texas Killing Fields, hopefully someday their families will get answers too. If you haven't watched the documentary on Netflix, I highly recommend it. It was really good. I learned so much about Texas EquiSearch. I knew that they went out and helped search for missing people, but I didn't know that much about it. They're a huge part of the documentary because the man who founded Texas EquiSearch, his daughter went missing. And so now he has devoted his time to helping other families. So like I said, if you haven't watched it, I highly recommend it. Thank you for listening today. Please remember to subscribe, rate, or leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And also tell a friend about Texas True Crime. I'd love to hear from you guys. You can find me on Instagram at Texas True Crime Pod, or you can email me at Texas True Crime Podcast at gmail.com. And I'm working on a website. So hopefully that'll be up and running soon. And I will see you next week. Bye.